0: Hello and welcome to IndieWire's very good television podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at LizLiz on the Twitter,
1: and I'm Ben Travers at Ben T Travers on the Twitter.
0: And I today let's let's, let's see our status updates. I'm in Vermont.
1: Ooh, that's
0: weird. I'm, I'm I'm literally sitting in a rocking chair in a bed and breakfast in front of a fireplace. It's it's really surreal.
1: It's hard to imagine a better way to kick off fall than that.
0: Yeah, I guess they have actual weather here. It's quite impressive. And, uh, be- and then how's the treating you?
1: Oh, it's it's just it's going wonderfully. Today is Friday when we're recording this, and today the Chicago Cubs could clinch their first playoff berth since 2009, ending one of the longest droughts in baseball. So that's very exciting for me.
0: That is exciting. I'm excited for you. Aw, thanks, Liz. Wait, does this mean that they knock out the Giants?
1: Actually, it does, yeah.
0: I'm not so happy for you anymore, Ben.
1: <laughs> you had, you won last year, it's an odd-numbered year, it's you'll true. back next year. We, take, we
0: take a year off every year. Exactly. Okay, so I'll, I'll resign myself to that. But the important thing is, it's also fall television season, and we gather here today to celebrate a great man of fall television, especially this year. And Ben will now read from a prepared statement. <clears throat>
1: For roughly three and a half seasons, Rob Lowe appeared on Parks and Recreation as the overtly positive, constantly energetic, and enthusiastically supportive Chris Traeger. With iconic catchphrases, a fearless commitment to the part, and some of the most original dancing we've ever seen on television or real life, Rob Lowe created an icon on a show of icons. Yet the show in general, like the show in general, he was never given his just reward. This is an objective this is a this is as objective as I can be in stating the following. Rob Lowe not winning an Emmy for playing Chris Traeger is akin to choosing new Coke over classic Coke, Donald Trump winning an election for best hair, or anyone thinking Game of Thrones is better than Mad Men. So today, Very Good TV Podcast will try to right that wrong by honoring the man who's brought us eternal joy through television by ranking his best accomplishments in the medium. Oh, and he has two new series coming out, so that's relevant too.
0: Well done, Ben. That was a very good prepared statement.
1: I try. I, I don't, I mean, I try.
0: I mean, what's happened here is we've created a list. We went through Rob's, Rob Lowe's IMDb rankings, we, listings. We picked out 10 of what seemed to be the most iconic of his roles, and then we ranked them because that's what you do on the internet. You rank things.
1: Absolutely. And, and I mean, it's fun. We're just going to have a little fun today. We're in the middle of, of fall TV season, or just getting started with fall TV season, I should say. And uh, I mean, there's so much content out there. Covering somebody who's got two shows coming out is about the best as we can do.
0: Yes. So we're going to start off with something, we're, the lowest thing ranked on our list, mostly because neither of us can say we have really seen the show Dr. Vegas.
1: Honestly, if any of you have seen Dr. Vegas, I strongly encourage you to find us on the Twitters or send us an email and tell us your you know wild recollections of this. I think it was only 10 episodes Yes. of 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 the NBC drama with Joe Pantinello and, and Rob Lowe as a doctor who goes to Vegas and works as an in-house physician for one of the high-class casinos. Did I get that right?
0: I believe so. I don't oh. know. It's like wacky Vegas antics. Rob Lowe getting the Rob Lowe stuff. I watched a couple of clips. Joey Pants. I like Joey Pants. I like Rob Lowe. Uh, and I like Vegas, actually. So in theory, this is a show I could see myself checking out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If this was on, if this was streaming somewhere like on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever, I would definitely have watched an episode or two just to prepare for this conversation. But sadly, I, I mean, it's just not anywhere. I, I, I too watched what clips I could find online and it seems like, seems like classic Roblo doing classic Roblo seems pleasant enough, but maybe not challenging or crazy enough to get to get enough of a pickup.
0: Yep um and so we're going to move right along then because we don't have anything substantial to say about dr bays aside from the the fact that it existed at one point it did uh but number nine on our list is uh probably one of i think roblo's first really big notable tv things which was the 1993 miniseries the stand
1: yeah and honestly It's hard for me to imagine a better version of The Stand being produced just about anywhere. I, I, I've i read the book, I've seen this mini-series, I've seen a few other strange versions that are out there of this, and I've heard so much buzz, especially now. I think, it wasn't Ben Affleck trying to mount a film version, or like a film trilogy of The Stand of late? I I feel yeah. like this just came back.
0: Yeah, I mean, by the way, this is 94, 93, I apologize for the, for apologize for the error. But yeah, I think yeah, I mean, there's always talk about remaking The Stand. It's one of Stephen King's most notable works, but it is a a damn brick of a book. Like it's a huge novel, and so the miniseries format has always been really generous towards adapting many adapting like large, significant novels like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would argue uh, even for the that miniseries event for The Shining that was on ABC. I know it's it's very frowned upon. Especially in the film community, but as somebody who was a disciple of the book before, you know, long before I saw the film, um, I I think the miniseries honored the intentions of that novel far better than Stanley Kubrick did. And that's obviously not saying that the the TV movie is as cinematic or as well acted or anything like that. But like going back to the stand, it's really just captured very well. And Rob Lowe is a good part of that. I mean, Gary Sinise is a huge chunk of this as well, but. I mean, the the miniseries just really, it worked. It worked very well for what it was trying to do.
0: Now then, for those who haven't seen The Stand, tell us a little bit about the character he plays.
1: Oh man, I couldn't do that. It's been years. It's been so long, Liz.
0: (laughs) But is he on the side of good or the side of evil?
1: Uh, I think he's on the side of evil, actually. Oh no! Yeah, which, I mean, can be fun for Rob Lowe, but God, I mean, it, it hurts to watch.
0: Yeah. I mean... When, when, when has he ever played like a truly iconic force of evils? Now, I mean, aside from, aside from, of course, Wayne's World.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, for a while he had he had, like in Tommy Boy he had he had the villainous character. Like he had a few movies like that where he was a street, and I mean, a few other TV movies even kind of touched on this a little bit where he was the bad guy. But, uh, but yeah, like he's Drew Peterson. I mean, yeah, exactly. He can go. He can go both ways, and it can it works. He can pull it off.
0: Oh, go both ways. We'll get back to that.
1: (laughs) But actually, that's a perfect lead-in for our number eight on the list, which is another quickly canceled. I think this was NBC too, wasn't it? The Lion's Den. The
0: Lion's Den. Yes, Uh, it it ran six. It made six episodes before being canceled. Uh, All thirteen eventually aired somewhere internationally.
1: That's that's tough. Six is rough.
0: And we cannot find, friends. We cannot find The Lion's Den. It does not appear to have ever been released on DVD. It is not streaming anywhere. It is, it is like a show that is a ghost in the ether, despite the fact it has like a pretty impressive cast. Because not only does Rob Lowe star, but uh, Elizabeth Mitchell from uh, Lost plays a major role, Francis Fisher is in it, David Krumholtz, and a little gentleman we like to know referred to as Coach
1: yes kyle chandler is in this show and that is kind of the connection between our number nine and number eight in that kyle chandler plays kind of a dick bag on the lion's den and it's apparently <laughs> apparently at the end of the series spoiler alert uh it's revealed that he was more of the hero as it was in fact rob lowe's character who was was he a serial killer, Liz? What he killed somebody.
0: Rob Lowe's a serial killer. He kills Kyle Chandler. Oh, spoiler alert for this series that you can't watch. So I guess it's okay. Uh, yes, apparently, this also gets spoiled for you if you read the Wikipedia entry. So sorry about that. But uh, yes, Roblo's a serial killer. He kills Kyle Chandler, and then I think kills himself.
1: Yeah, he throws him. Spell out a window. And I've actually, like, you, as soon as you brought that up, as soon as you brought that to my attention, when we were making this list. I immediately remembered hearing Roblo talk about this. And I was like, oh my God, that's the show. I didn't know it was a show that had Kyle Chandler on it. I didn't know it was, uh, like, supposed to be as straight of a dramatic, like, episodic kind of show as it as it looked to be in these like random clips we can find online mm-hmm. um, But I desperately want to see it now I, I I mean this would be this would be top of the list of, of what I haven't seen and must see Involving Roblo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I want to loop back really quickly. Uh, it appears that uh, Nick Andros the character that Rob Lowe played in the strand in the stand was actually on the side of good
1: God damn it! I I mean I really just can't rely on my memory at all anymore. Yes, I've gotta, it's okay. I gotta take some classes or something.
0: He becomes a key member of the Boulder Free Commit his own committee. So.
1: Oh yeah, that's yeah. A, that's
0: a good thing. Yeah. Way to go, yeah. Pablo.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but yes, Lines, I mean it seems like it, it does. I mean, Lyndon definitely pushes him on the other side of the morally ambiguous, uh, spectrum, and I. But I don't know if the same can be said for Brothers and Sisters, which is number seven on our list and in which he played a significantly larger role than I think I remembered.
1: Oh, yeah, Rob Lowe was a was a was a big part of the early push for this ensemble drama on ABC. Um, it was one where I remember when it was out I was dating at least one person who watched this and loved it. So I saw a few episodes of it But again testing the memory of, of what I saw in this. I just remember I remember that it went from kind of a more substantial family storyline into something that was kind of, I mean, boring, but but just (laughs) completely insubstantial, where they, they weren't talking about things that, that were as, as dramatically hefty as, as stuff that was before and that's kind of what led to Rob Lowe getting out of it. But uh, but no, I mean it's got a great cast. It's got uh, uh, Matthew Reese and Callista Flockhart and Sally Field. I mean it, it's it's got some people.
0: Rachel Griffiths? Love her. That's yes. uh, yeah, yes. I mean it seems like it seems like actually one of one of these like nice little one of those shows like where you look back and you're like blown away by what they who they had involved and also what they were able to do. Like, it seems like, you know, for the mid-2000s, there's a lot, there's a pretty heavy emphasis on one of the younger brothers being gay and him, like, pursuing romantic interests and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, it. it's also kind of the perfect fit, especially if you put yourself in the mindset of a, of a network executive, for what Rob Lowe should be doing after The West Wing. I mean, he's getting on board with another, you know, pretty high pedigree ensemble drama that he's technically the lead of, or at least one of the leads of. Um, so he gets his good share of screen time. He gets a lot of hefty moments, but it's got just enough of kind of levity to it that you know you get to enjoy all the different aspects that Lowe can bring to the screen, which which is a lot. I mean, he he does very well, kind of balancing. Um, the 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 angry version of him or the angry side of his characters with the uh, with uh you know jokey taken aback um uh like funnier moments of the show so i mean i i brothers and sisters is definitely one that you could kind of just cruise through a binge of and and not be harmed at all but it's also not one that i guess pushed pushed low specifically to the heights that we know he can reach
0: well i think what's what's really interesting in talking about rob low is that uh, as much as we are uh, is, he's, what, what's really interesting about him is the fact that he falls into this category of the 30, the 30, 40 something white male, which apparently, according to casting directors in television these days, is like the hardest role to fill. Like finding a great, charismatic, white 30, 40 something male to fill the role, to fill like the lead role of a television drama is like scaling, scaling Everest.
1: Yeah, and and it's something that he actually talks about a lot in like his books and his interviews and kind of reflecting back on his career. And he talks about how when he was coming up, the more appealing casting option, especially in film, was kind of the antihero. He mentions Mickey Rourke when he came onto the side of the outsiders, when he was in Rumblefish, like all those kind of stuff. They loved Mickey Rourke. They just fawned over him because he was, you know, the bad boy and he didn't have like he looked he was a you know a good looking man. But he also had kind of that rebellious streak to him, whereas Rob Lowe was definitely more classically handsome. And uh, he couldn't find the same kind of roles. They weren't looking for those kind of people at the time. And now it's kind of reverted back to that where they desperately need these classically handsome men. And if he was just coming up now, he thinks he would have had a lot easier time, uh, you know, landing all these spots.
0: Interesting. Uh, I'm glad that he's spoken to this issue.
1: Oh, you bet, Rob Lowe. He covers it. He thinks through, and uh, you can read about it uh, in a, in my interview with him. It should be live. Yeah, it'll be live now when this when this goes up. But uh, head to the website, and we'll have that for you.
0: Yeah. Um, but speaking, I think what's actually really interesting about bringing up Rob Lowe kind of like as an icon is uh, our, brings us to number six on our list uh, because we, we, when we when you talk about when I talked with the creator of Moonbeam City, uh, the Comedy Central animated series. Uh, when I talked to Scott Gardner, who who's the brains behind it, he basically said that when they were talking about casting the lead role of this, like it's kind of a Miami Vice spoof, but with a lot, uh, with a lot of heat to it. I guess is is that is that an accurate way of describing it? You think? Like, I don't know if heat feels like the right adjective, but the point is, is that it's it's really balls out funny. With a lot of really deadpan moments for the lead character of Dazzle, Dazzle Novak, <laughs> which is a great character, name. And uh, so when Scott Gardner was, they, when Scott and the team were talking about who do, who do they find to play this guy, they're like, "Well, we want someone who can really play drama, but we also want someone who can really play comedy, and it'd be great if he was like some sort of like '80s icon." And as a result, it's like. And so they're like, "Oh, we could get Rob Lowe. Let's see if Rob Lowe's available. He would be all of those things combined."
1: Yeah, and it sounded, I mean, from what I remember of that interview, it, it sounded like it was kind of the we're not going to get him, but like if we could get somebody like him or something like that would be that would be great, but we're not going to get Rob Lowe and then somehow they got Rob Lowe.
0: Yeah. And from Rob Lowe, they got all the rest of that amazing cast, uh, yeah. Elizabeth Banks and Kate Mara and Will Forte. But yeah I think Moon, Moon City is such an interesting show for him to take on right now I mean it's it's an animated series he probably did like what six hours of work total to get all the lines down but you know it's still it's still a commitment Anim- you know, voice, you know voice work and animation is you know it's a very specific and very important art and it's he, he's an incredible he's an incredible anchor for the show like it, I don't know if it would work as well without him <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a testament to what Lowe seems to be interested in doing. Like I mean, if you looked at his if you just glanced through his idea resume or, or you know looked over his Wikipedia, you could easily just look at it and see a guy who tried out film and it didn't work out and he, you know, fell back on TV, got a good good couple parts and then that just kind of launched him from there. But really, there's such a specific diversity going on in his roles, and you can see kind of how he graduates from one to the other, but you can also see kind of the the courage and the choices that he makes because he's not afraid of taking parts that may not look that glamorous. Like, he's been on Lifetime movies. He's done sequels to, you know, movies that, you know, are going straight to video or, or you know, for TV or something like that. I mean, and doing something like a Moonbeam City is, you know, far... Step above that in terms of like creative respect because it's it's still you know, like an ambitious uh, you know funny Comedy Central offering that they've got a lot of backing for um, so it could get him some really good play and introduce him to a new demographic but it's also just kind of a fun way to reflect back on what he's done before and and look back at himself and you know take on a new challenge of something that's that's you know just it's a different avenue which is admirable I like seeing that in actors I like seeing actors who go after parts that aren't just stuff that's tailor-made for them again and again and again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Then again, like, moving us to number five on the list, uh, talking about things that are tailor-made for Rob Lowe. Uh, I think, I feel like, I, it, it, I feel like, it can, do you know if the grinder was written very specifically for him?
1: I actually don't. I don't think that it was. I, I, from what I've, from what I've read about it, I don't think that this was specifically just developed for Rob Lowe, but I'm going to guess that a lot of the character traits came about because they got Roblo, if not through, you know, his ideas alone.
0: Yes. This is of course the brand new Fox series premiering I believe this Sunday. Uh,
1: it's a it's a Tuesday show, I think.
0: Oh okay. So it's premiering it'll it it'll be out uh as of uh, the day after we post this. But yeah, the grinder uh Ben, you know the show better than I. You love the show.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm a big proponent of The Grinder. After, I mean, again, I've only seen the pilot, but it was it's one of those pilots that just has a lot of promise to it. And uh, the, the basic story is that a TV actor who had been on a primetime drama, a very successful primetime courtroom drama, goes back to his hometown to try to rediscover himself or figure out what he wants to do next, basically. And uh, his brother is uh, a lawyer, a real lawyer, who struggles with kind of charisma and, you know... How to, how to, how to win over a jury in general, so uh, Rob steps in and tries to help him out, and they kind of form this you know, odd couple duo of, of a real lawyer and a fake lawyer, but ones that you know try to work to the better of their clients from there. And it, it's kind of unclear on the pilot, or at least the version that I saw, uh, as to whether or not Lowe will pursue a legitimate law degree, like if he's going to actually go to law school. I, he said he wasn't, but at some point. I have to imagine if they're going to keep going down this line, he's either going to be cutting some sort of consultant-like figure, or or you know actually go to law school. But we'll see how far the show gets. It's it's fun, and what's fun for me about it for for Lowe is one, you can see a lot of Chris Traeger in the performance, and two, you can see him kind of also break away from that a little bit. To he he's definitely. Whereas Traeger had a lot of humanity within him where that made him feel very authentic. This guy is, is definitely a real person, but you can also tell that he's conscious of the spoof that he's creating. Like, he's conscious of the satire going on through this character in the early aspects of the show. And that really pays off in, in some funny ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like the pilot as well. And I also like the fact that they've, uh, I think it was Jason Alexander they announced as being... Cast as the former showrunner of the show that Rob Lowe was on, yeah, which indicates yeah. that they're going to be bringing in the the Hollywood element is not gone just because Chris it, just because Rob Lowe has returned to his hometown. We'll right. see that touches of that element, which I'm looking forward to. Like, because I, I I love a Hollywood showbiz satire. I can't help it. It's a weakness.
1: Yeah, and I I'm I'm very eager for somebody to skewer the courtroom drama itself. I mean, it's just a genre, be it film or TV, that gets so much leeway with what is considered acceptable or real courtroom behavior or something that lawyers can or cannot do. I mean, it's ripe for parody. It's just something, I, I've said this before, but like my dad just can't watch it. He's a lawyer. He cannot watch any movie or any TV show about lawyers because they're so far gone from what they actually go through. And uh, I'm, I'm very eager for for this show even though it'll be a little bit broader to kind of make fun of those things
0: Yeah, I mean I, def- I don't think there are, are are that many courtroom drama parodies at all like no. I, Like my cousin Vinny is probably the closest thing I could think of and that's that plays it pretty straight
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not something where it's been Skewered properly as of yet, and I'm I'm eager for that to happen.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> There's no good transition from The Grinder to number four on our list. I I wish there was.
1: Well, there is, but it would be too dirty for us.
0: Oh, would it? Well, (laughs) we've never really defined what's too dirty for us. But, yeah, the point is Californication comes in at number four.
1: Absolutely. And this this is is definitely – you've heard us talk about Californication before, and by us I mean me because Liz kind of steered away from it, right? You saw what (laughs) – the first season maybe
0: i saw like i saw like maybe the first episode i've seen clips i'm very well informed about what happens on californication for the most part um and actually watching uh watching this morning a clip of of rob Lowe in californication made me want to reconsider my stance on not watching the show because uh, oh, yeah. that was pretty incredible
1: yeah he rob Lowe's only in about
0: I think it's like five episodes
1: yeah it's it's six or yeah five or six episodes but his presence always pops up at just the right time and it's i mean he so basically on the show he plays again like a very famous movie star who uh, is pretty messed up like he's just he's a he's a loon he's an absolute crazy person you could throw out some names of on like who exactly he's spoofing from Mel Gibson to Tom Cruise to like kind of everybody mixed into a bag. I
0: saw I saw Brad Pitt and I was like I was watching watching what I've seen like yeah Brad Pitt feels like a good fit.
1: Yeah, well you could. I've never heard any stories about Brad Pitt that could go in line with what Eddie Nero talks about on California occasion, let alone does. But what I always liked to to see about what Low brought to that character was that. It was like um, Eddie Nero was Hank Moody's worst case scenario. He was like David Duchovny played Hank Moody, and every time Eddie Nero showed up, it was like this is this is what I'm dreading by being out in California. If if Hank bought into the LA lifestyle full boat, he would end up like Eddie Nero, and that scared the living bejesus out of him. And there, there's like there's just enough in common between the two guys where you could he could identify that and then want to just flee as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Um, But damn, if Lowe, he was just so exquisite at finding the innocence in absolute debauchery. There's just, there's something in his eyes that you could just tell, as crazy as he was, he wasn't trying to do anything wrong, even though he did some of just the most ridiculous things imaginable.
0: Wow. That's a beautiful way of putting it.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, beautiful seems like the wrong word to describe anything to do with Eddie Nero, but I mean... It's a fun, it's a fun part.
0: <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it speaks to what we've talked what we've said about Californication before, which is that, you know, the, the later seasons beyond the first season are a very different show from season one. And if you can buy into like kind of the debauchery, which is a word we've used a lot in this podcast so far, more <laughs> than expected. But if you buy into the, that, the, the debauchery involved there, then I think it, 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 it can be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, and it it you'd have to. Like you'd have to buy in full boat. You'd also have to be ready for a little bit of repetition, but uh but yeah, it's I mean <laughs> if you like it enough after you see Eddie Nero the first time, it's probably worth waiting around to see him again.
0: Yeah. Speaking of debauchery. <laughs> uh... Oh, uh, well, that, that definitely brings us to number three on our list, uh, which is good old Behind the Candelabra, which is uh, not technically a series, but was on HBO and was pretty special.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, Lowe got a Golden Globe nomination for Behind the Candelabra.
0: Well-deserved. if only for that prosthetic makeup.
1: I, I, I mean, from what I've read about it, too, it was a lot of... Lowe's interpretation of the part like they, like Soderbergh reached out and wanted him to do it um, wanted him for the part and then Lowe kind of knew some doctors that he had seen or met or whatever, some doctors that put that idea in his head and then he kind of contributed to the whole thing so I I mean it's definitely not wholly his creation but he contributed so much to it that I, I have the utmost respect for that very small part of the movie as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, he plays the the plastic surgeon who helps Liberace transform uh, 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 Matt Damon's character into basically a carbon copy of Liberace, or not carbon copy, but nose-like anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, nose-like is a good way to put it. It was... (laughs) Uh, What I loved about Behind the Candelabra was, was kind of how Lowe's character embodied the interpretation of the movie as a whole like i mean there's moments that are just hysterically funny where you're looking at it and you just want to die laughing or buy into this thing as a comedy and then there's moments of absolute horror where you're just like look at what's happening to this poor poor man and and everything to do with those reactions isn't is like part of lowe's scenes
0: yeah i mean you know we're talking about a list where rob lowe plays we're talking about this list here rob lowe has- played at least one serial killer on it but i think he's more evil in behind the candelabra
1: yeah you could definitely you could definitely make the argument for it you could also go the other way with it and say you know he's just doing his job and he's kind of been so overwhelmed by the lifestyle that he doesn't see the evil in, in, in it anymore mm-hmm. but yeah there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely an argument the other way too
0: yeah so that brings us to our top two and imagine, I imagine you guys can guess which ones they are. I imagine you can probably but guess what... No. I mean, there's there's only two big ones left, and I'm <laughs> betting they can guess that number two is The West Wing. I'm betting they can guess by process elimination that The West Wing came in at number two.
1: Now, my intro might have spoiled it a little bit, but I that gonna being say. said, he was the only Emmy, Emmy nomination Rob Lowe has ever got was for The West Wing, and oh. he was also nominated for two Golden Globes for The West Wing. And I mean, it's, you know... Just a classic. I mean, it's the respect for that show goes miles beyond what's out there in the culture for Parks and Rec. Sadly, but but yeah, The West Wing comes in at number two.
0: Well, I mean, The West Wing. I mean, the thing, the the reason why we put West Wing below Parks and Recreation is that Rob Lowe also left that show after three and a half years. That seems to be his lucky number, and I the reason Rob Lowe left had. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of different reasons. Whatever bad blood there might have existed between him and Aaron Sorkin is apparently over and done with. But the fact remains that Rob Lowe, you know, when Roblo left the West Wing, the effect was less seismic on the show than, say, when he left Parks and Recreation. That's essentially the justification for it.
1: Yeah, which is, I mean, which is saying something, considering... And I mean, I guess the impact would be judged by, I mean... Aaron Sorkin left shortly after Lowe did, and...
0: And that was a much bigger deal.
1: Right, and the Parks and Rec crew pretty much stayed as it was throughout the the end of its season. But yeah, I mean, Rob Lowe on the West Wing was just such a, a wonderful discovery. I mean, it, it, he's... <sighs> it goes back to what I talked about earlier, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much, but he can handle every aspect thrown at him in that drama, including the, you know, the very great moments of comedy like I, I I mean there's just so many little scenes in that that you remember uh and and Lowe is always a big part of them. so I, I have a lot of admiration for his uh for his Sam Seaborn
0: yeah no, I love Sam Seaborn as a character the one thing I will say is that Sam Seaborn as a character is slightly less well drawn and specific as say Chris Traeger. uh like there's he, they, he undergoes like a lot of different variations and part of that is I think especially is is with Aaron Sorkin as a showrunner sometimes Aaron Sorkin just wants a character to take a position and it's not really like a care it's not really a character based decision it's just like this sounds good to Aaron Sorkin he's just going to do it like like there's a ra- like a random bit in season two is it's revealed that Rob that that Sam Seaborn was the recording secretary of the Gilbert and Sullivan uh, club in his college which is a delightfully random detail but also what how does that fit in with this kind of almost jockish character that we've known for the last season and a half it's no like mm. i don't know like i mean i think I, I i don't know like i i don't feel like i ever had a true grasp on sam seaborn the way i said way I, I feel like i understood other characters on that show
1: well, I, I would agree with that, but I'd also argue that he's the he's more of the the in for the audience. He's more of kind of the every man? For his, yeah, for as experienced as he is and for you know, for the job that he holds, he's still, you know, one step down from Toby and his opinions aren't as valid as, as the rest of the clan. Like he's not the chief of staff, he's not you know, he's not Leo, he's not he's not Josh. Like he's he's very much more kind of walking us through it in a way. And and the other thing, um, it's not all Sorkin. There was a lot of pressure from NBC, from executives, to change his character. They wanted Sam Seaborn to be different than he was especially early on in the show, and I mean, part of that may have been to give him more definition, and Sorkin may not have wanted to do that, I don't know, but there's been a lot of debate over kind of or did
0: Would they want him to be more of the star of the show?
1: Well, he was originally the star of the show, and they kind of turned away from that. So I don't, I don't know whose decision that was, but I know that that was, that was part of what went down.
0: Well, that makes sense. I mean, the, 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 the thing I know about the original, the original plan for the West Wing is that uh, Martin Sheen wasn't supposed to show up every episode. He right. Was, he was supposed to be much more of an outside presence and thus looking at the ensemble nature of the cast, it makes sense that Sam would be, in theory, the protagonist of the show but they went for a more ensemble feel and i think that plays to the show's that's one of the show's greatest strengths.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And i i i don't want to speak to it without, you know, ever being in the room. It's it's just more of of the the different things i've heard over the years that have combined to kind of a mix of of what could have or what did happen so i'm i don't want to blame sorkin i definitely don't want to blame lowe but i mean there's there's a lot of voices in the mix as you know was always the case and is always the case with broadcast television so that's a big part of it i mean over how he left was disputed for a while some people had said that it was aaron sorkin who just stopped writing him into the scripts and all of a sudden rob lowe stopped getting scripts but now uh, Lowe has, has spoken to the fact that it was more about his uh, contract disputes and, you know, everybody else was getting a raise when he wasn't and and uh, you know, some other like, you know, behind the scenes drama that was going on. So uh, it, it should also be noted that Lowe, you know, made good with Storkin and they always say they're on good great terms now and he appeared in his uh, Broadway rendition of A Few Good Men and got great reviews. So it's kind of an interesting drama behind the whole thing that we may never know the full story of, but um, as it stands, Sam Seaborn is still just such such a likable son of a bitch that I I will always enjoy his time on The West Wing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Sam, Sam is always is still an amazing character. We will always love him. This, uh, but will we love him as much as Chris Traeger on Parks and Recreation? Ben?
1: No. <laughs> no, not a chance. I uh, I love Chris Traeger. I. You, you, I feel like the hardest question for anybody who is a devout fan of Parks and Recreation to answer is who's your favorite character? Because again this is also just an incredibly strong ensemble piece and you want to say Amy Poehler, you want to say Leslie Nope, because it's her show and she is such a strong feminine presence and she has so many good lines and she has so many great moments that'll make you laugh and cry and pull you in every direction you want to say Ron Swanson because you know when have we ever seen anything like Ron Swanson before? Well, we'll never see anybody like that again. He became just an iconic figure of manhood that that cannot be taken away from Nick Offerman now. Like that's just the role that he plays and, and embodies perfectly forever. But if push came to shove, I'd say Chris Traeger. That would be my pick for favorite character.
0: One of the things, I, I, I want to call out one of the things I really like about Chris Traeger as a character and also as an acting choice for Rob Lowe, which is that that character goes down a pretty dark path and he's vulnerable in a way that I'm not used to seeing a lot from, you know, say your handsome, straight white male protagonist. Like Chris Traeger, ap- openly and actively struggles with depression for a good solid season or so and comes out on the better side of it and you know is but he's a real testament to you know how people struggle with mental health sometimes and i think that's a really important thing and i think it's a great choice for rob lowe and i think it didn't detract at all from how fun and fun and silly the character could also be
1: yeah and i've heard i've heard a lot of well not a lot i've heard a few complaints about that storyline and 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 Traeger's uh, reliance on uh, Dr.
0: Dr. Nygaard.
1: Dr. Nygaard, right.
0: How could you forget uh, that? He only says it like a million and a half times.
1: I know. Uh, Dr. Richard Nygaard. I know. I, I don't know how that slipped my mind. It just must be too early for me to be recording. But but, uh, but no, I, I I think that, again, speaks to the talent that goes into, into what he does, like what he's capable of doing. Because I never felt the show lost any momentum at all during those scenes where he was going between weeping and laughing and, and, you know, April and Andy were trying to pull him out of it at the Halloween party in their bedroom. Like, I mean, he, he can handle those heftier moments that have importance for the character's development and keep them with the tone of the show. And part of that is definitely the writing. Part of that is definitely the editing. And part of it Rob Lowe I mean he just really did that incredibly well and I I I was enjoying every moment of the journey that he went on and waiting very anxiously for him to come out of it but more so just to see what he did next because there was always something next There was always something new coming and it was always so much fun
0: yeah also I just really love the story about Rashida Jones I think she called her sister when she found out that Rob Lowe was joining the cast and just like Rob Lowe I'm gonna make out with Rob Lowe. <laughs> I had his. I had his picture on my wall. Rob Lowe. <laughs> that's,
1: that's pretty good. That's me. Can't paraphrasing, complain about that. But, and you know, I, in...
0: Yeah, but I think it's something I, I. I had actually kind of forgotten that Rob Lowe was has been a move was a movie star in the 1980s before he was ever on television.
1: Yeah, and I mean he he brought that to a show that needed it and and. The second season of Parks and Recreation is a very, very, impec- like just impeccably done season of television, and a lot, most of that does not have Roblo or Adam Scott. They show up at the very end, last
0: two episodes,
1: yeah. And frankly, that was such a ballsy creative decision by the the by Michael Shore and, and Amy Poehler and everybody behind that show. Uh, to bring them in when it had started working, like things had started to go in the right direction and the characters had established a very, you know, fluid dynamic. But they brought in two people who they thought would make it better and I'm sure the network was happy to, you know, get Rob Lowe back on the show and try to you know, boost the ratings, maybe get uh, a little more awards attention, which never sadly happened. Um, but, I mean, they just fell right into that yeah. and they... Hit their hit the ground running, and it was it was just even better somehow.
0: Well, and I think what what it speaks to also is the fact that you know in the first two seasons they noticed that Paul Schneider's character just really wasn't working, and uh, kind of gracefully transitioned him out. Uh, and then when I think I think I believe it was a it was a, in part largely a creative decision when uh, Rob Lowe decided to leave in season six. Like, I think there's the idea that we're kind of coming to a, a graceful exit for the character. Let's just kind of pursue it. And I know you have your strong feelings about Rob Lowe leaving Parks and Recreation. But it's worth, it's worth noting that those, th- that decision did have at least some creative uh, component to it.
1: Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. hold it against anyone that Rob Lowe left the show when he left the show. I regret the decisions the show made after that. To try to move on, I don't think the last season was was in line with the tone of, of of the series in general. I don't. I and and again, actually, this speaks to what I'm probably most concerned about with the grinder. But was also pleased to see how they handled it in the first episode. Small towns on TV get a terrible rap, and they're always portrayed as these kind of you know just black holes or uh, you know places where culture goes to die or ignorant people thrive. And I never felt like that was what happened on parks and rec they acknowledged the difficulties of of being a civil servant but they didn't go so far as to say that you know the people of pawnee were you know not good enough or living in pawnee wasn't good enough and by the end of the show that's kind of what it embraced and that that bothered me but but no rob lowe's departure that was for me that's kind of the end of the series like that was a great way to go out It had a lot of power behind it and um and, yeah, I, I I had a lot of admiration for what they did there.
0: Yes. I, I, I mean, while r- we respectfully disagree that the se- seventh season takes a hard a hard line against living in a small town, but that's an argument for another day, uh, one that I also I don't really feel like having. Because <laughs> we've had yes, it before. you should. Yes, we, We've had it before. It's <laughs> a boring argument. It bo- basically boils down to both me saying to Ben that he's wrong and then Ben saying to me that I'm wrong and... You know.
1: and then Ben writing like fifteen hundred words to try to prove that he's right.
0: Yeah, that's usually how most of our arguments go. Actually, that's
1: true. Yeah, very, um, very stimulating. But uh, but yeah, that's that's our Rob Low list, guys. Yes. Oh, so you've uh, all been clamoring for it, so you're welcome. Yes.
0: I hope you feel properly Rob Lowe'd. I hope that you're you go out into your day with a little bit of that low spirit in you.
1: Yeah, keep that uh, keep it going.
0: Yeah um and with that it's i think time for best thing next thing so ben what's the best thing you saw last week
1: uh the best thing i saw last week is actually the last man on earth season two which uh at this point as you're listening to it you all have had the opportunity to watch and i'm very curious to hear what people think of of like kind of where it's going in the second season but again give it till that second episode until you kind of make a decision but uh Honestly, I was one of the people who fell on the side of this guy is too much of a dirtbag to care about this show during season one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, just, I mean, frankly, he, Phil Miller is just was was a bad dude. And I found it hard to engage with everything that they were trying to bring up in regards to what it would be like to be the last man on Earth and kind of what stimulus you needed and and, you know, dropping someone back down to their basic, you know human form I, I it, it wasn't good that wasn't enough for me to to stay along with this character and they've made some good decisions in the second season to kind of move past that and to bring him to a new level and um it's it's really helping the show out so I'm I'm sticking with it I'm excited to see where it goes and uh as always Will Forte is just a creative genius so I I, I don't doubt that he's got some more stuff in line yeah what about you Liz what's the best thing you saw
0: uh you know what I'm going to go ahead and say I found myself pretty much thoroughly enjoying the how to get away with murder season two premiere. Like that's, I knew I was going to piss you off, but I did it anyway.
1: I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm just chuckling.
0: I mean, it's the thing with that show is it is 100% what it is. And I feel like the, but they, they made some really interesting choices with the season two premiere, Um, some big character revelations and It's one of the shows that I find pretty predictable in the respect that I can usually guess who, like, you know, they'll end the scene like, oh, that's not that the murderer isn't the person you think it is. And I'm like, oh, so it's that person. And then it's that person. Uh, And that happens about (laughs) once or twice an episode. Um, Great. And then and then every scene, there's always a scene where it's like, hey, remember when we used to make out? Yeah, we shouldn't make out anymore. Yeah. And then they make out. Um, how do, we get people with do. How, how do we, how do how do we, how away with murder is really good at the, oh, we shouldn't be making out. Oh, let's make out anyway moment. Uh, so that's why it happens about once or also once or twice an episode, but you know, <laughs> uh, Viola Davis, I mean, it, it, it really, she really diz, does deserve that Emmy. God damn it. Like she, yeah. she's it, what, what I think people forget or what, what gets overlooked in her, in what she's doing is that. It's a much more vulnerable performance than I think, you know, for for something, for a character that's supposed to be like the strong black woman, like she's a, she's a vulnerable person and she try you know, she's got a lot of human fragility to her. And those are some of the show's strongest moments and they know this and they work with them.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the best. Emmy's campaign of the 2014-2015 season was when ABC cast every single person around Viola Davis to make her look better. Even when she didn't need it, because she's that good. But they're like, you know what? We're going to make sure she wins that Emmy. And it worked.
0: Yeah. Cicely Tyson, uh, uh, Marsha Gay Harden, like, those aren't people to sneeze at.
1: Mm, Yeah, well, they're not in it enough either, so... That's also That's true, fine.
0: but Fanta Jensen, I think, has a, a significant enough role in the first in this in the second in season two, and she's also becoming someone that Viola Davis really sparks off, so yeah, we'll see how it goes.
1: ooh, sparks off. I know what that means. make yeah.
0: it out i I didn't say anything. no spoilers <laughs> so Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? uh
1: the next thing I'm looking forward to may seem like a conflict of interest, but let me tell you it is not. I am very much looking forward to Homeland Season 5, even though it premieres on the same night as The Leftovers Season 2. <gasps> and, I mean, if you, obviously, if I had to tell you to watch one or the other, watch The Leftovers. So if you have to watch one before the other, watch The Leftovers, record Homeland, or, you know, get Showtime anytime, or get the Hulu edition where you can watch Showtime, whatever you got to do. But both of these shows are absolute must-watches. Like, I mean, Homeland after a season three where a lot of people felt like they were gonna bail where a lot of people did bail and and you know season four started up and even I was skeptical where it seemed like they were kind of rehashing a lot of stuff that they'd done before only with a, you know a slightly new scenario um, they really, <laughs> they had a big plan in mind and it worked out perfectly like that that their decision making is pretty flawless in that fourth season which led them to get you know another emmy nomination for best uh or outstanding drama series well deserved i can't wait to see what they do in season five um i'm sure i'm just i just trust these people now like season three wasn't it wasn't enough of a debacle where you can just point to it and say god what were they thinking it's just kind of like well it wasn't quite as good as season one or two. And then when season four comes back, you know, with the quality that it was, you can see that, I mean, nothing is lost here. They, they are producing one of the best dramas on TV and I, uh, I, I can't recommend it enough.
0: Nice. I mean, you, you honestly, I've been on the fence about whether or not to dig back into it, but, uh, maybe I should just try season five after having been away for like two seasons, uh, to see how it works out for me.
1: Yeah. And season five has taken a bit of a time jump towards the future. Um, there's a little bit of backstory that you may have missed out on, but not that much. I could probably sum it up for anybody who needed it in about five words, but um, that doesn't take away from the power that was in season four in, in discovering, you know, what happened there. But uh, if you wanted to pick it up now, you're, you're going to be fine. Okay. What about you, Liz, though? What's uh, what's the next thing on your docket?
0: Oh, God, this is another thing that I... I... I'm I'm not necessarily proud of it, and also, when we post this, you you, you gentle listener will already have had the opportunity to see it, but I am looking forward to eventually getting the chance to watch the CSI series finale movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not actively picking stuff to annoy you, I promise that. (laughs) I'm trying to find new things to talk about.
1: I love it, I love it. Ted Danson. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Danson. Get it? Well, I think, but it's what, what I'm really interested in is in it, it, its its first couple of years. Like CSI was a really strong procedural. I'm not saying it's gone down in quality, I because I can't say, speak to that because I haven't really watched it. Uh, but it has one of the best pilots for a procedural I've ever seen, and I'm really interested to see how like this is meant to be a big spectacle stunt. Kind of thing. They're bringing back original cast members. It's a big final farewell, and I'm kind of, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with this opportunity because it could be really fun and or really, uh, a really unique way of wrapping up what has been a billion dollar franchise.
1: Yeah, I, you know, you're you're right. I, I
0: you're right to laugh at me.
1: I, well, no, I mean, I'm I was laughing, and and CSI right now is is one of those shows that seems like it is just, you know, too dated to be relevant again. But considering just how much it changed the landscape of broadcast TV and TV in general, how important it was, the ratings, the, the like the, the acting that came out of it, I mean, the transformations, I, 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 it deserves a finale like this. So so I, I will not judge anyone who watches that, and I probably should be one to tune into.
0: Nah, I mean, one of us should watch it, but it, it can be me, and it can be me a couple of days after it airs. <laughs> but I think I think it'll be, I think it it, it could be really interesting. We'll see. We'll see how yep. it plays. We'll see if anyone yep. watches. Like, I don't know if the CSI franchise has the ratings power it used to have, which is part of why it's part of one of it, at least one branch of it is going away.
1: I will say this. I don't watch a lot of CBS, and I did watch about three hours, well, two hours of it last night for the, uh, the Sunday or the Thursday night football game. Mm-hmm. I did not see one preview for the CSI anything.
0: That is really interesting.
1: Which I find kind of strange, too, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is very strange. I mean, maybe they don't figure it's the same audience, but who doesn't watch football and CSI?
1: Yeah, I mean, I imagine there's got to be a a decent amount of crossover there, and and maybe I just missed it. You know, maybe I walked out of the room to, you know, grab a new beer or whatever, but who knows?
0: Who knows? Certainly, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of billboards or anything, but how do you bu- put, put up a billboard for a two-hour TV movie, essentially?
1: You put up a billboard for a two-hour movie.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. You make a good point, Ben. <laughs> you make plenty of good points, especially on Twitter, where you can be found at Ben T. Travers.
1: Well, you know, Liz, it's kind of you to say that, but I, I really think the points you make at Lizlet with an I and an E on the Twitter are, are probably much better.
0: Eh, we'll see half a dozen ones six a dozen and another I don't that was not the expression I don't know what I'm saying anymore
1: <laughs> You're you're distracted by the gorgeous scenery outside of you by everything going on with with nature and greenery which is just you know not a thing in Los Angeles
0: There are trees here there are so many trees
1: Oh god I mean like alive trees I don't Yeah
0: yeah like with and they're green and stuff it's weird
1: Oh that is weird you should go check that out
0: I should uh, and you guys should go to com to check out all of our news, features, reviews, interviews, all the stuff we write about television when we are not talking about it.
1: Absolutely. And you should also make sure to tune into the other IndieWire podcasts, which include, uh, oh, man, I'm blanking on the first one. It's Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson's Screen, Screen Talk. Talk, of course. Oh God, how could I forget that? Um, but yeah, that one's uh, for every bit of film news leading up to the uh, Oscars. I mean, it's we're in the middle of it now, folks. It's Oscar season. I know it's September, but it's Oscar season. So you need to start paying attention figure out where this race is going. Know which movies you got to go see and which ones you can skip because there's going to be a ton of them coming out. Um, and, I mean, you're trying to balance it with TV, and that's a very difficult task these days. Um, and in addition to that, make sure you tune into to IndieWire Influencers with our editor-in-chief, Dana Harris. Uh, she's talking to some really fascinating people uh, from, from TV, from film, from kind of across the world of, of entertainment. So uh, make sure you check that out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back next week talking about all the shows you need to know about. And in the meantime, keep watching television.